Hi there, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast. I'm continuing to read the insights I've found while seeking to understand what the scriptures say the true church of God should look like. All this information comes from my free ebook titled The True Church of God, and it can be downloaded freely at the freegiftfromgod.com website. So let me continue reading, and I hope you find something of value in the insights the Lord has given to me. In the last podcast last week, we established that Christ is the head of the church. There is not and must not be a single man at the head of any church, lest they usurp the position of Christ as the head. The church belongs to Jesus and not to any man. However, there is a need for leadership across the church here on earth. There are ministries to be performed for the building up of the church and to instruct and guide the members of the church. The pattern that the Lord has established for leadership in the church is to appoint a group of elders as overseers in his church. He also appointed apostles who can hold leadership roles with the elders, but it is the eldership group who have responsibility for maintaining control in the church as apostles have a somewhat different function. And elders can be apostles too, or vice versa. There is also a critical distinction between apostles and elders as to how they are appointed. Apostles are appointed by the Lord, just as he appointed the twelve to be apostles, and later he appointed Paul and Barnabas to be apostles. Apostleship is given by the Lord as one of the ministry gifts to the church. That's sufficient for now, but we will look at apostleship as one of the ministry gifts to the church in chapter 10. Elders, on the other hand, are appointed by men for the purpose of running the church, and there are strict conditions for the appointment of elders in the church. Within an eldership, all of the elders are equal. There are no senior elders, and none that have any more power or control than any other. This is essential so that there is no one elder, either in fact or by perception, to be any more important than any other elder. By having a group of elders who are co-equal, none can stand in the place of Christ as the head of the church. This is important for the protection of the church as well as the elders. We will see in a later chapter that when a single man stands as the head of a church, it creates an antichrist structure, and the church as well as the person at the head of the church are open to a special form of attack from the devil. So the very first thing a church should do is to appoint a body of elders for the protection of the church. Likewise, whether a church already exists or a new church is established, if the church finds that there is only one person as the head, then that person must, as a matter of urgency, seek to have other co-equal elders appointed for their own protection and the protection of the church. A church should have at least a minimum of two or three elders, but more are preferable. I mentioned in an earlier section of this book that one of the great issues in the churches today is burnout amongst pastors and leaders or ministers of the church. They burn out because too much is being asked of them by the congregations of their respective churches. They are expected to teach, preach, evangelise, do administration work, counsel, lead and much, much more. Is it any wonder they are worn out and burnt out? But the purpose of a co-equal group of elders is so that the ministry of the church is shared across the whole leadership group and no one person is excessively burdened. They are a co-equal group, and all can do different parts of the work to manage and run the church. 
Each of the elders will have different gifts and abilities, and each will have different desires to do specific work. In addition, the Lord may appoint elders into different parts of the ministry through his gifts. He may appoint one to be a pastor, and another to be a teacher, and yet another to be an evangelist. But no one person is likely to have all of these gifts. By spreading the workload across the eldership for leading and running the church, burnout is avoided. And as a church grows in numbers and pressure increases, more elders can be appointed as the workload increases. There is also a second group who can be appointed as the church grows to pick up some of the workload. The church can appoint deacons to assist with some of the more administrative functions of the church so that the elders can focus on preaching, teaching and other ministry. We'll look at deacons in the next chapter. Conditions of Eldership There are conditions laid down in the Bible for appointing an elder in the church. Paul detailed these in his letter to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If any man is blameless, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of being profligate or insubordinate, for a bishop as God's steward must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of goodness, master of himself, upright, holy and self-controlled. He must hold firm to the sure word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to confute those who contradict it. Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 9. You will note that the words elder and bishop are interchangeable in this section. In other translations of the Bible, you sometimes see these words translated as overseer. All of these mean the same thing in a practical sense, and to that end, they should all be considered to mean elder. The first thing that we note in the first verses of this scripture is that Titus was instructed to appoint elders, plural, in every town. A church must have more than one elder so as to protect the church as well as the eldership. The key things we see in these scriptures is that for a person to be considered for eldership, they must be in control of themselves, their life situation and their households. This is important because an elder who is not in control of themselves or their household or is subject to wild swings in mood or emotion cannot be relied upon to manage the affairs of the church in a sober and reliable manner. In addition, An elder must be well-versed in the scripture so that they can teach sound doctrine to others and can refute poor or false doctrine from coming into the church that can pollute the faith and cause people to fall. This does not necessarily mean they have to be a teacher who speaks from the platform, but they do need to have a solid grasp of the teachings of the gospel and the new covenant scriptures, especially when the elders meet together to discuss doctrinal matters. Another critical aspect that aligns with those above is seen in this scripture. He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. It is important when appointing elders that they are not recent converts. A recent convert does not have the depth of knowledge of the scriptures or the application of the principles of the new covenant to be able to advise others or to refute unsound and false doctrines. Also, as the scripture above points out, they may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. A recent convert may not have the spiritual depth in themselves to understand that the role of an elder is to serve and not to be served. 
Elders are servants who serve the church in the employ of the Lord to oversee and manage the doctrinal, spiritual, administrative and other affairs of the church. One of the things we learn as we grow and progress in Christ is that we grow to serve. In the world, people advance into roles of superiority so as to be served. But in Christ, as we advance, we become servants. Not to be served, but to serve others in Christ, just as Jesus stated that he came to serve and not be served. A new convert may not understand these distinctions and think that eldership means power and control over others. Rather, eldership means service towards others while maintaining sound doctrine and practices within the church. Appointing Elders So the question arises, how do we appoint elders? In the early church, there are apostles like Paul and Barnabas who travelled around establishing the new Gentile churches. They either appointed elders in the new churches after a period of time, or as we see in the case of Titus, they instructed other deeply devoted and knowledgeable Christians to appoint elders. That was fine 2,000 years ago, but how should a church appoint elders today? Elders can be selected from the members of the church where they meet the requirements of eldership as defined in the scriptures above. The one question that comes up is, what is a new convert? There is no clarification in the scriptures as to any specific time period, and it will be different for different people. For example, the maturity of someone who gets deep into the scriptures, learning and seeking diligently for a year or two, may mean they are vastly more advanced in the Lord than a person who has been attending church for 10 years, but only opens the Bible on Sundays. Every person and situation will be different. However, in my opinion, there needs to be a benchmark set, and something like five years after conversion would be a minimum if the other conditions have been met. But of course, it will depend on how they are maturing in Christ before the decision to appoint them as an elder is made. When appointing someone to eldership, there could also be a probation period to see whether, firstly, the person is a good fit for eldership role, and secondly, whether they want to do the role after seeing what is involved. When an elder or elders are eventually selected, then they need to be confirmed by the Lord. We do this by having the eldership pray over the new elder to appoint them into the role. The Lord has provided a way that this can be done, even if there are no elders in the church at all. The church can appoint elders by agreement, and then two or more must pray over them, agreeing and confirming them as elders. The Lord will then accept these prayers and accept them as elders too. God gave the church this authority when Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Matthew chapter 18, verses 17 to 19. We see again in the scripture that where two or more are gathered in the Lord's name, then he is there with them. So when two or more people pray and confirm a person as an elder, and they bind the role of eldership to that person, agreeing together that they want this to occur, then the agreement will be ratified in heaven and accepted by the Lord and by God the Father. This is the process for appointing elders where a new elder is to be brought in, or where no elders exist and the church wants to appoint elders to establish the correct structure in the church. The work of elders. The work of elders, as mentioned earlier, is to ensure the governance of the church. 
They have a primary responsibility for managing the church in accordance with the ways laid down in the scripture. They are especially responsible for ensuring the doctrine being taught in the church is correct and sound, based solely upon the truth of the new covenant as defined in the scriptures. In this regard too, elders are responsible for rejecting false doctrine and unsound teachings so that the church does not become polluted by what is false. All matters to do with questions of doctrine, as well as the administration and running of the church, are to be brought to the elders for review and decision. Elders will meet together regularly to review the situation of the church, to discuss issues that need review, and to identify any doctrinal matters that have arisen. The elders will then make the necessary decisions for the efficient and orderly running of the church. This may include matters of financing the church, operational needs, and anything else that promotes good order in the running of the church. The frequency of these meetings will be determined by the matters at hand. They may be held monthly, quarterly, weekly, or more or less frequently, depending on the workload and items under discussion. Frequency will be determined by need, and there are no hard and fast rules for elders' meeting frequency. Another part of the work of elders is healing through the anointing with oil. This is described in James chapter 5 as follows. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. The Lord has given the elders of the church the authority to anoint and pray for the sick so that they will be healed. Elders can do this at any time when requested by the sick person, or in some cases that person's parent or guardian. But it makes good sense to do this as part of the regular church meetings when there will be typically several elders in attendance. Anointing with oil does not mean the person will necessarily be instantly healed, but it will begin the healing process so that over time the person is restored to normal health. There are other activities that elders will carry out, such as laying on hands, especially for receiving the Holy Spirit, but there are also many activities in the church that the elders need not do but can delegate to others. As a church grows, there may be the need for more people to assist in sharing the workload. You may not need to appoint elders, or there may be no one qualified for eldership at that time because growth has been rapid. In those situations, the role of deacon has been established, and we will look at deacons in our next chapter. That's all I have for this week. I hope you found it interesting, and I hope you will join me again next week as I continue looking at these aspects of the true church of God. All of the information I'm covering here is contained in a free ebook titled The True Church of God that can be downloaded from the freegiftfromgod.com website. So until next week, this is John from the freegiftfromgod.com podcast signing off and hoping you have a blessed week ahead. God bless. 